This is Stacy Finney sitting in for Loud Fast Philly. Today is May 31st, 2014, and I am sitting here with John Finn of Stepping Razor and Legitimate Reason in the beautiful South Philadelphia uh, neighborhood um, of our fine state of Pennsylvania. Um, hi, John. Hi, Stacy. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not too shabby. Thanks for meeting with me today. Um, We'll just get started with, uh, how about you tell me when and where you were born? Uh, I was born April 27, 1968, uh, in Northeast, or actually, yeah, Frankfurt Hospital okay. in uh, Northeast Philadelphia. Um, I grew up in uh, D.M., Wyoming, which is the Felperville section of Philadelphia. Okay. What was that neighborhood like? Um, it was nice at the time. It's a little different now. It's uh, very Spanish right now. It's different. Okay. Um, at second grade, I moved to uh, Mayfair, which is uh, basically Harbison the Boulevard. That's the lower northeast section yeah. of Philly? Yeah. And uh, there I went to Our Lady Ransom, another uh, grade school. Uh, and then went to uh, Father Judge High Catholic, School. Catholic High School. Okay. Uh, so it was 12 years Catholic school. Okay. So obviously you were born to two parents. Yes. And what are their names? John and Marlene. And how many siblings do you I have? have uh, I have two younger siblings. I have a sister who's four years younger, Charles, and I have a younger brother, nine years younger. His name's Patrick. Okay. And what did John and Marlene do when you were growing up? Was your mom a stay-at-home mom? My mom, my mom was initially a stay-at-home mom. My father was a steam fitter. And uh, my father was a, uh, he enlisted. <laughs> he didn't get drafted. He enlisted for the Vietnam War. Okay. Uh, the reason I'm saying this is because enlisting in the Vietnam War, he was sent, instead of being sent to Vietnam, they sent him to Alaska. At that point, he was allowed to bring his wife to the base, the Army base. And that was in 1965 to 1967. Um, my mom flew home from Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska, and she was eight months pregnant with me. Wow. So it could explain why I really love cold weather. <laughs> so, yeah, you got used to it. In, in but I had a really traumatic hat. A real traumatic thing happened in my life in um, 1981, June 23rd. Um, my father, I'm, I'm currently a steam as well. Uh, my father was injured on a job where he, saw, he actually had brain damage. Um, part of a, a makeshift crane fell off Presbyterian Hospital in uh, West Philadelphia, hit him in the forehead. Wow. And uh, literally they thought he was going to die on the scene. Um, I know, there was an, I answered the phone on the... Presbyterian Hospital calling for my mother. Mm. You could just see the look on my mom's face just go from a summer day with the kids to, oh my God, my life just changed. Right. And then my father was hospitalized for almost two years. My mom went from being a housewife to, and now I have to get a job. My mom went to James Martin uh, School for Respiratory Therapy. Wound up becoming the department head of mm. Respiratory Therapy at Children's Hospital. So. And so in 1981, when this happened with your dad, how old were you? Uh, I think it was 12. Wow. 13, 12 or 13. So let's back up for a second. So your dad enlisted in the Vietnam War. Yes. How many years did he serve? Was, I think it was from 1965 to 1967. To seven, okay, you yeah. did say that. And, and was there, I mean, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I guess you, you sort of alluded to it. If you enlisted, is, what, is I, it I, that I don't, you, I don't know. or I he just, just think, got lucky? I just, I, he, my father and I also went, we went to the same high school. My father went to the father judge. Okay. We grew up in the same house oh. as well. He grew up in the house that you grew up in. And then when his mother passed away, he bought it 
when I was living in Felt, when we were living in Feltville. So you were the third generation Pretty of much in that same Finns house. in that house? And they had 2831 Rawl Street. Which wow. Is, so, uh, like I said, he, he out of high school, he enlisted in the Army. And I don't know how he got so lucky, but he got sent to Alaska instead of... So he enlisted right after high school, and yeah. he and your mom were already married. Well, they were, they were engaged. So they and, were high school sweethearts? And they got, yes, and they got married, and it was, he said, I'm going to Alaska, and... Uh, they, he was going to be an army barrier or army base. I'm trying to think what the name of it was. I think it was McKinley or anyway. It was a stipulation that if you're married, you could bring your wife. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they hurried up and got married. Makes so, sense. Right? So he took her out with her. So. Wow. And then when he when he completed his time in the army, he wanted to come back to Philadelphia. Yes, just, yes, yes. Okay. So tell me, um, what was Little John like in? Oh. Growing up in Philadelphia. Tell me about the early years. Okay, um, I was always a very high-strung child. Um, in second grade, um, they didn't know, the word ADHD wasn't really around in 1974, mm-hmm. uh, 75. And uh, I remember um, one of my teachers, because I kept getting out of my chair, actually tied me to a chair with an extension cord for a day. <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm laughing, but no. I'm having your. I mean, I hear these kinds of stories yeah, often from the from the '70s yeah. and even into the early '80s when people did not know um, about attention deficit yeah. hyperactivity disorder and, I mean, I and how tested. to handle it. I was tested for it, and I actually, I think it, I, don't, I think it was something between '74 to '76. They uh, it was Cora, this Catholic organization, it was some kind of mm-hmm. service they that uh, they had, yes. and Cora actually diagnosed me with it. Mm. My parents. They, all had, they had the option of putting me on medicine for ADHD mm-hmm. or not. My parents said, no, we're not doing that to my son. Instead, tie him to a chair with an well, electric yeah, cord. So <laughs> Did that work? Were they able? You well, like the, I don't necessarily think that worked, but <laughs> I, I, I frown. I, sometimes I, I look back and I say, maybe the Catholic education was the best thing in the world. But I actually, now that I look at it retrospectively, um, I learned a lot of respect. I, learned, I think it taught me how to become a better human being, how to be a more respectful, responsible person. You know, I mean, it's it taught you how to respect authority, which I know now it sounds crazy. I mean, I was all anti-authority when I was younger. But, yeah, and we'll talk uh, about that because yeah. they, they really do seem opposed in some ways. And, and, and I look at the Catholic education as being very academically, um, um, you know, as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the discipline, certainly, that I've heard from, from different folks going to Catholic school yeah. didn't always sound too appealing to me. So, But you found that it actually taught you some stuff. Well, now, yes. If, if you would ask me this when I was 20 years old or when I was 19 or 17, mm-hmm. I would have thoroughly said no. F the nuns right. that beat me with rulers and yardsticks and gave me my own classroom in fifth grade because they didn't let me around the other kids. Were there any other kids that had the same behavior as no, you? No, I, I, was, I was always the class clown. Uh, I was always the one that, you know. I so guess, you couldn't stay in your seat. You were clowning yeah. around. Fifth grade, I had my class, my own classroom for an entire like four months. Did the nuns come in and teach you, or yeah, they, they, just would, sent... they would give the nun told me I was the son of the son of Satan. I uh, think she used the word Beelzebub. Oh, yeah, you're that's the a good of, nickname. It, it's so nice that you're telling the fifth grader <laughs> that he's the son of the devil while he's yeah. just in Catholic school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so. I'm thinking of uh, the Bronx, uh, Holy Ghost, I don't know, that yeah. song is coming to my mind right now. It's um, so, so you spent 12 years in Catholic school. Um, 
and, and, and I want to talk a little bit down the road about, you know, what you just talked about with Catholic school and, and, and the whole kind of punk thing. But um, tell me a little bit more about growing up. Did you have a lot of friends in the neighborhood? Yes. Like what, you know, what was your, were you playing sports? What were always music? Playing. I was always playing sports. Um, where I lived, there was 54 houses on a block. Wow. Like Northeast Philadelphia, yeah. that's kind of laid well, out that way. 27 yeah. houses on each side. Mm -hmm. So I never had to really leave my block to have to play with friends. I, there was always kids our own age that would, I mean, we could go outside any day and play a football game, depending on the season, a baseball, you know, on sponge, the street. But, yeah, SpongeBob yeah. game, right. uh, wiffle ball, wire ball, anything you could possibly imagine. And it was always self contained within one block. Mm -hmm. You could actually. Do things which was pretty typical of Philadelphia at that yeah, time where all the kids would come out onto mm -hmm. the street there could be a number of different parents keeping an eye on the kid mm -hmm. kids and it didn't matter whose child you were yep. if you were misbehaving you know yeah. you could get a beat down and then yeah. dropped off at your front step I mean, I, I mean <laughs> and literally mom would just yell out the window at the door of the window get in the house. hey it's time for dinner <laughs> Yeah. Is that how she called it? Because I just yeah, remember yeah, being just screamed, screamed at, get, get in the house. Get in the house. Here, Johnny, <laughs> Cheryl, Patrick. You know. And begging for more oh, time. Oh, and I remember one time uh, my sister went outside, and she's four years younger than me. Mm -hmm. My sister cursed and said something bad. And uh, and one of the neighbors called my parents and said, you know, one of your kids is out there cursing. So I get drugged into the house. I get my mouth washed out with soap. <laughs> they just figured it was Yeah, it was, it's it got to be, it's be Johnny. No, <laughs> it was Cheryl. Satan's son. Yeah, Satan's son. Yeah, that's right. So you took, you took one for your yeah, sister. Yeah, took one for the You didn't dime her out? No, I didn't. That, I was, that was a good big brother. Yeah. Are you close with your sisters? Um, my sister I'm kind of close with, yeah. Yeah. My brother, I'm a little more, I'm a little closer with my brother. Okay. How And how old is your brother again? He's, uh, he's 37. Okay, right I see a little bit younger than yeah. you. So, growing up, were you always closer to your brother than your sister? Well, no, no, or, I was close. I was always close to my sister. Um, my sister was just. Let me say, that's the way I would put it. Um, my sister just said she always had her own friends, and mm -hmm. we were just kind of different. Right. And I remember my sister had a, uh, like she wasn't when when I did get in the bands, not very interested. Would never. I don't think she ever saw me play. Hmm. Um, Okay. She's very, yeah, very, very well educated. She's a physical therapist right now. Oh, Jefferson good. graduate. Terrific. So very nice. Um, what was your relationship like with your parents growing up? Okay, my parents, my relationship with my parents was always good. Uh, and I don't say this in a bad way. I was definitely one. I never. I don't say. I can't. I can't emphasize, emphasize this possibly more. Uh, you got a spanking if you're bad. You got, you know get your ass kicked if you were bad, and whether it was mom or dad, mm -hmm. uh, that's... Which was pretty typical of those times. I mean, we had yes, a yes. fairly yeah. typical 70s upbringing. I got, I got sent to school with a concussion one time because I yelled, I said some wrong word to my mom, and my dad punched me right in the face, and my head hit the wall, and my head came, you know, I staggered to school, and school was like, yay, send me to the hospital. And I actually remember being in the hospital, and my, you know, the police officer was like, well, you know, they actually brought the police in. What right. happened? I said, "Oh, I fell down the steps," and uh, my dad's like, "He didn't fall down the steps. I punched him in the face." Why? And he, like, he called his mom a bad name. Police officer's like, "Yeah, he deserved it." <laughs> so. And nowadays, you, but, but, yeah, yeah, you probably would have been very that different now. But, that would have been very but, different. But once again, I look back on it, and I, I'm probably the person I am now today. A good, 
good person probably because of it. They beat they beat Satan out of you. Yeah, well, no, no, I just I just I just I learned I learned I learned respect. I learned uh, what to do and what not to do. Right. I learned how to. I don't know. Maybe 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 I, if I didn't have that kind of upbringing, I'd be a different person right now. Hmm. I mean, I do have a propensity to be a bad person. But I think they're, they kind of just everybody. I think yeah. has a propensity to, to go either way. You know, and, you know, I, and those. I think it is those early influences that he kept me straight. I mean, yeah. he, he honestly kept me straight because the fear. Of, all she ever had to say was, "Wait till your dad gets home." Right. My dad would take Seth to the work, hmm. and I literally would see him walk. I would just, I would cringe. I would see him walk up at the top of the block and with mm-hmm. a lunch pail in his hand mm-hmm. and turn the block, and I would just. I'd be so frightened of what she would say to him. Would you hide? Oh, almost yes. Goes, oh, I'm going over some <laughs> Run away from home? <laughs> yeah. I never really ran away from home as a child. That was good. Now, you have two daughters of your own yes. that are, how old are they? I have a, uh, currently, my oldest daughter is 15, and she's turning 16 in August. Mm-hmm. And my younger daughter, Madeline, is, uh, oh, the first daughter, Shannon. Madeline is uh, now nine. She just turned nine in April. So, do you have the same philosophy in childhood? No, no, I, 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 from, from as soon as I became a parent, I made there's no corporal punishment whatsoever with my children. Um, it's amazing what I what my, my main tool that I use with them is, and it's it can almost make them cry. What's they just say, you know what? I'm not going to punish it. You just really disappointed me. Mm-hmm. I just really expected more from you. Mm-hmm. And like two minutes later, they'll come walking around crying. I'm so sorry, Daddy. So, I mean, it sounds like they're, you're raising your girls to be decent yeah, human beings yeah, as well without having to beat Satan out of them yeah, either. No, but I, 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 I see my parents every day. I don't, I don't hold anything, any, disre- any ill regard towards them. And sure. Um, and, and I think, too, as an adult, you know, you, the further you are yeah. away from your childhood and, and some of those early experiences... You know, it's easier to put it in perspective and, and let some of that go. Yeah. I, I certainly know people who mm-hmm. suffered, you know, some pretty serious abuses and, and don't feel like they were taught yeah. respect, but it sounds like for you it, it worked. Yeah. Um, so you did mention that in 81 your dad was in that awful accident, yes. but he's still alive. Yes, yes, yes. And are your parents both still in Mayfair? No, no, no. We, they moved to New Jersey in uh, 1992. Okay. And it sounds like you're still close with them. Yeah, I live yeah. close to them. Yeah, then uh, they moved out. Uh, Mayfair kind of changed okay. a little bit, and uh, my brother was gone. He was in a sophomore year at Father Judge, mm-hmm. same high school my my father and I went to. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was a little transition for him to move to uh, Washington Township, New Jersey. Yeah, but it's very different. A right? lot of South Jersey, a lot of South Philadelphia lives in Washington Township. Now. But isn't isn't it? Uh, I mean, I don't know South Jersey very well, but I from what I do know, it's more spread out, more rural. But yeah, you got. I mean, you have this. Everybody has a single family home, mm-hmm. two car garage. Can't really take a bus anywhere. No, everything's yeah. bicycle for a kid, yeah. or a car. Right, so that so, is an adjustment. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he, he did very well. I mean, my brother, my brother's a really good-looking kid. Yeah. I mean, and he's taller than me. And, very handsome, and he, he adjusted. He had no well. problem. He had he had street cred. You know, also <laughs> a Philly he's boy. He's from the city. Yeah, he's the from the city. city. He's from you know. I'm from Philly. You yeah. know, and so yeah, he yeah. did really well over there. So what was that? I mean, you you mentioned a little bit about Mayfair growing up. Um, you know, kids were playing out on the street, um, but then the yes. neighborhood still slowly started to change. Were there racial not, tensions not, no, 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 in the not, neighborhood? Or? No, no, actually never. Not not when I lived mm-hmm. there. There wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, I mean, the socioeconomics have changed yes. a lot. In that yeah, area. I mean, my father can pinpoint one thing that happened that changed the entire neighborhood. What's that? that? They put a Kmart in. 
and he, my dad just and and Kmart ruins everything. Well, it's, it's <laughs> it wasn't necessarily that. It just seemed like it just drew a lot of people up to the, all of a sudden everyone went because he, you know, there was gen, two, three generations of us that lived in that neighborhood, mm -hmm. and it just seemed like mm -hmm. it kind of changed. A lot of those Philadelphia yeah. neighborhoods and, have, and, and, have changed in that. And same the other thing way. with Mayfair that was so different was everything was segregated as far as almost nationalities. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had a Polish neighbor. I'm Irish. I'm Polish, by the mm -hmm. way. Uh, you, had a, you had a strictly Irish neighborhood, mm -hmm. you had a Polish neighborhood, you had a Greek Catholic neighborhood, you had Italian Catholic neighborhood. It just went down the line. It was just, right. and it would be a three or four square block area and everybody was very... Right. I so, mean, we're, we're sitting here in South Philadelphia near the Italian market. Mm -hmm. Growing up, the Italian market was all Italian. Yeah. This whole area was Italian and now it is a mixture yeah. of everything, African American, mm -hmm. Mexican. Hispanic, you know, Vietnamese, Vietnamese yep. all versions of white, yeah. um, but some of that, you know, some of those folks still do remain at De Bruno's mm -hmm. and things like that. And that is really kind of um, the nature of Philadelphia yeah. back in that time where the neighborhoods were very segregated. Did, did you know, in my experience growing up in Philadelphia, I grew up in a Polish-Irish neighborhood, okay. um, and I remember neighborhoods kind of fighting with each other the polish and irish kids were fighting with the italian kids yeah. and we were fighting with the hispanic kids and we were fighting with the project like we were always, was it, was was it always, like that yeah well no it wasn't more like it wasn't more or less the ethnics mm -hmm. or the, the people's nationalities it was more or less our playgrounds okay. that would that's where we would have so you're fighting for your yeah playgrounds. we would have our little there'd be east allen's yard mm -hmm. yeah the maybe we call it allen yard mm -hmm. there'd be the mayfair kids you know from um um mayfair had a mayfair elementary there was a playground which we would all hang out at uh -huh. you know because i remember mayfair yeah. like being a little rough it was, it was like it was like our little you know um there's vogue playground there's mm -hmm. so many different playgrounds and the only time i remember there was gang fights i used to see gang fights with weapons or just, no, just fighting missed. at that time yeah it's a i did i didn't now. i know i did see when i grew up in feltonville in the 70s i saw a lot of um feltonville was actually starting to change in the 70s mm -hmm. whereas in mayfair didn't change until later on I did witness some horrible, horrible, horrible racial things. I mean, as as a young child, which were just traumatic. In Mayfair? No, this was in Feltonville. What this happened? was D in Wyoming. My grandparents owned a bar mm -hmm. on um, between C and D on Wyoming Avenue, and uh, my my grandmother would routinely babysit us on Friday or one of the nights. Friday it was either mm -hmm. Friday or Saturday night, and. Uh, so my mom and dad were young, and they were in their early 20s, and they would go out with, sure. my, with you know. Yeah. So it would be me and my cousins that would sit there, and and uh, we would sit out in front of a bar, <laughs> right. you know, and, you know, like. Pretty typical. We had lawn chairs. Yeah. We had lawn chairs. We'd yeah. sit out in front with our bachi. Yeah, our, that's our Polish out. name for our grandmother, our bachi. Yeah. And our jaju would be mm -hmm. bartending. And uh, I, I, it was it was forbidden for a black guy to even walk down those streets. Mm -hmm. And I literally remember there was a bar directly across the street and there was one on each corner. And I remember a, bla a black individual, African-American individual, driving a bicycle down the middle of Wyoming Avenue. And the guys at one bar down the end on C Street yelled. And by the time they got to the middle of the block on D, he was beaten with baseball bats. How old were you at that point? I think I was probably five or six. And you remember that vividly? I remember vividly. Do you remember? I mean, what, what did you? What were you thinking? I, I, I just, I didn't know it was part of the thing. I just was, what, what are the guys in the bar doing? And it, somehow or another, everyone had a bat. <laughs> I don't know where they came up with the bats from, but everybody <laughs> had a bat. 
And if it wasn't a bat, it was a lawn chair, it was something. Wow. It Did the just, police come? Yeah, eventually. But everybody cleared up, nobody saw anything, and that's the way it was. And it was gone. Yeah, that was really, that was like, I think, I, I want to say that was mid-70s. Yeah, and that was really on the heels of the civil rights yeah, movement yeah. And, so, and the race I mean, riots in Philadelphia. I remember, yeah, I remember seeing Frank Rizzo on a parade on Wyoming Avenue. It was just bad. And, uh, like, I, I tell my children how bad things, how, how, I mean, I've actually mentioned that to my daughters, yeah. how things are so much different these days and yeah. how, you know, People do have a tendency to hold grudges. I don't just. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine how that poor individual's mom and dad felt. Right. Because he wasn't doing anything except riding his bicycle. Right. And I can't remember. By I, the I, nature I, of I the color of his put, skin. I can't possibly put an age to how long the individual was. To me, it was a silhouette. That's all it was. Right. But I, I couldn't tell if he was an older man, a younger man. Did you feel like that influenced how you viewed people of color? I, I mean, it, it, you... it, it, it kind of. I, were, were we, your parents? I mean, what were your what were your I don't, parents? I don't think I, I don't even think I remember telling my parents about that. Um, no, uh, it was weird. It was um, that's kind of was one of the other things that led me into the punk rock scene. Um, being in Mayfair, you were just really segregated. You were just so around white people. Mm -hmm. and they were on the other side of Roosevelt Boulevard, which I grew up on. That was almost a dividing line. Mm -hmm. and on the other side of Roosevelt Boulevard, there was a Jewish enclave of people. Right, right. And some of the Jewish kids actually went to Catholic school. Mm -hmm. Because it was a better education than you would get at a public school. Right. So, I mean, we had some Jewish friends, but not many. And it wasn't, I really didn't start actually intermingling with people of different races than myself until I got into the punk rock scene. So. So, so let's talk about that. So, how, how old were you and what, first of all, what were some of your early musical influences? I mean, were you, in, at what age did you okay. start getting interested in music? I would go as far as saying, when I mentioned it before about people on the street playing baseball mm -hmm. and so you know playing our little games that we mm -hmm. played there was there was like a slightly older generation that might have been about three or four, maybe four years the older the big kids we right. call them right teenagers the big kids would always play their Led Zeppelin they would play their Who they would play their Northeast classic Beatles. rock yeah Northeast <laughs> classic rock and that alone is the number one thing at the Beatles that is the number one thing that influenced me growing up because I was I could I could sing I would knew every word to every song, and not one of them I liked. It was it was literally like it was literally like like uh, you know Led Zeppelin. Isn't that amazing? It, it, it was totally amazing. I mean, it's a bustle in my hedgerow. What the hell is a bustle in my hedgerow by Led no Zeppelin? No idea. Yeah, I mean it was up. just so I just kind of had a deep there was like a deep thing in me where I just didn't like. You didn't like what you were hearing. I know it wasn't what they didn't like what I was hearing. I just didn't like that I. I, I knew this stuff and I didn't, I didn't ask for it. It just kind of was like force fed to you. Mm -hmm. Now I love I love seventies music. Like you know, there's so many like disco songs like, that I liked. You sure, know? well it's fun. Because it really wasn't drummed in your head, but yeah. it was like I was fun. It's fun. I, like, it was music I listened to in the car with my parents. But right. the rock, the hard rock scene, it was just kind of like. Mm -hmm. So so how did you actually discover that there was an alternative, was alternative. music scene? I think well I. The one band I did like was the Rolling Stones. I really mm -hmm. had, I really had, I had, a, I had an extreme affection for the Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. Started digging into them and listening to them. I liked them a lot, and um, I don't know how it came along. Billy Idol, I think it was Dance with Myself. Mm. I, I really, I, I, I really liked that. And then I, you heard I, that on the radio. Yeah, I heard that. Was on that the radio. when, when that short period where it was like Wi-Fi ninety two? Or... I'm not, not, I have no idea. I can't remember. Do you remember how old you were? I think I was like thirteen. Okay. I was very impressionable. Okay. I uh, 
really I, I something something with him just kind of I know it sounds gay, but <laughs> I don't mean gay in the, in the same, just like weird. But there was something that made it just really like, wow. I liked what he looked like. Uh -huh. I liked what he sounded like. And then... It was different. It was different. So I kind of started... Especially for then. Yeah, I kind of started like dressing a little like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I was the only one in the world that liked that. So eventually I started backtracking. Oh, well, he was in this band called Generation X. Well, there's a whole new catalog of music. And then I remember buying Generation How X. did you find that out, that, that I, Billy Idol was I, in Gen X? I used to go to a record store. It was a record store up on Bustleton Avenue. And I can't remember what the name of the record store was. But, uh, Is it the same one Mark went to? Finger tour? It probably was. Probably. Cause and I, it wasn't far away. And yeah. they, they used records. You could buy used records there. Yeah. I would go there. And then I found I found our Generation X albums. And like I said, I, I bought all the albums they ever had. Mm -hmm. And then I remember going in and someone was like, well, if you like that, you ever heard of Sex Pistols? And I was like, Which is the, ga that? the gateway. It's yeah, the gateway it's, drug into Somebody gave punk me Sex rock. Pistols. So at this time, I'm, I'm Generation X, I'm Sex Pistols. And by that time, it was like Billy Idol's a fraud. Right. He was doing right. Rebel Yell. I don't want, I don't, he's, I don't want yeah. anything to do with yeah. that. And um, and then I started wearing the. Now I was Sex Pistols out. I, I, now I think I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. And I was all at Father Judge. At Father Judge. The very and, Catholic. And school. everybody, that was that was you wore a sport coat, mm -hmm. you wore a little knit tie. It was mm -hmm. square at the bottom. Everybody was were, mm -hmm. it was almost preppy. I used to see you guys on the subway every yeah, day coming we, home we were, from Northeast we High. Very preppy. That's the word to use for it. <laughs> yeah. I played on the football team. Yeah. Uh, I, I rode on the crew team. So I was kind of like a jock. Mm -hmm. I liked I liked that. I didn't have a problem with that. But I was always a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And I remember the Satan. Yeah, Son saying, of Satan. Well, obviously. <laughs> Everything comes. I'm, 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 I'm very much. <laughs> I'm convinced. I'm very much a chameleon, though. I can yeah. fit in a lot of places. Yeah. I um, so, and I didn't notice anybody at Father Judge that looked like me. And then one day, it was just seemed like it was just almost predestined. This guy comes up to me and it was like, "Yo," he's like, his name was Joe Gallagher. He was, I think, at the time he was a senior. He wound up becoming a lead singer for religion or reason. He uh, he goes, there's a, there's a couple of us here at the school that kind of like what you like. Hmm. And I was how, like, and, and it was just so. How do you think they figured it out? Because they started noticing like I had the spiky hair. Hmm. I tried to I dyed it white. And, okay. You know, and I was just like. So they. Yeah, they kind of noticed in like you know I had the trench coat on. So you, you were know. you were pushing it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I was still just, wearing your yeah. Your I still kind of looked poserish, but I was just getting into it. And they, these guys were like, hey, you know. You're wearing the clothes. Uh -huh. You're kind of look, you know, you kind of like what we like, you know. And all they said was, meet me at, uh, meet us at Frankfurt Avenue on Friday night at 8.30. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? And they're like, we're going to show you what a real American hardcore show's like. And I'm like, oh, by the way, if you like the sex business, go buy yourself a Black Flag album. So I think I bought Damaged. And, and so you were a sophomore. What year was that? 1984. So, and uh, it was amazing. I just thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. I think it was Ape State Council. I can't, I'm not really, I know it was, I know it was winter of 84. So when you, so when you went to Frankfurt Avenue yeah. and met them. I met, it was, yeah. It was, what happened? What, well, what did you? Well, I kind of went down, I kind of went there and, and, you know, these guys were, these guys were hardcore. So and, were you going to a show? Yeah, we were going to a show. What show, what show did it want to be? I don't remember the first one. That's the worst part of it all. The second one's the one I remember the most. Do you I'm remember like, the venue? I think it was Ape Steakhouse. 
Abe's was in West yeah, Philly. Yeah, it was 40th and Market. Oh, okay. Well, you you had said they said meet us at Frankfurt. Oh, yeah, so Frank you took the train. Yeah, no, no. I would, it would, it would, oh, yeah, it would be, we'd okay. Take, we'd take the 88 bus. All right. I got 20, you now. It was, it was the 88. Yeah, I was. The 66 bus. Okay. The 66 bus to Frankfurt, to Bridge and Pratt. Okay. And then from Bridge and Pratt, you take the L. I thought you were meeting them on Frankfurt Avenue no, we met, for a show no, in Frankfurt. Met, okay. we met there and... We okay. all got on the bus, and then he kind of, while we're on the bus, they're explaining to so me. So you went to eight, okay, yeah, so you and took we went the train. There, and, uh, Did your parents know that you were going uh, to West Philadelphia? No, and I lied. I said, uh, oh, yeah, we're just going over to a buddy's house. And, mm-hmm. you know, my dad was like, well, you know, curfew's at midnight. So <laughs> I just luck. remember going. Did you make it home? <laughs> no, no, I didn't make it home. And I remember I wanted to, I kept wanting, the band started late, and I wanted to see, you know. And Do you remember who played? I think Electric Love Muffin, for some reason or another. They I played think, there a lot. That I, was think they, Ace, I think it was Ace, there. Regular. I remember going home and all my teeth were loose. I had bruises in places I didn't know I had bruises. But the the first one that I remember where I liked liked it was it was 1980. It was it was February of '85, mm-hmm. and that was government issue at the CEC mm-hmm. Center. That was mm-hmm. that was my first where I as I started listening. They told me about these guys, my four friends that were there. Actually, mm-hmm. it was three. It was Joe Gallagher, Grant Plunkett, and Joe Ionetti. Okay. And those it was the four of us who went down. And then um, we went to that show, and I, I started. They told me about listening to WKDU mm-hmm. on uh, Tuesday nights, and I would listen to Swimmer's Ear, Mac, mm-hmm. and uh, it was Drexel University, and I would listen to that. And I remember listening to Electric Love Muffins demo, and I was like, "Well, okay, cool, they're playing." I didn't know much about Government Issue, and I went down, and it was just it, that was that was like the most eye-opening one. Because Abe's was just really small, but yeah. the CE Center was different. That was a big spot. CE, I can I can remember every smell. I can remember every, I remember getting off the L, and I remember it was a rock against hunger. It was, mm-hmm. it was $5 to get in. If you brought a can of food, it was 4 Now, who, do you remember who put that particular show on? Probably it? Chuck Meehan. Chuck? That's what I'm guessing. Yeah. So. Because I know Todd did a couple shows at CE, okay. CE Center. I'm just um, guessing it was Chuck. And then I know Lenny was putting on some shows at that point with okay. Crunch. With it might, it might and have Christian. been. Not, right, and it, it could have been Chuck. I did, they, I, they can chime in at some point in I some didn't. I, I started learning. After I got in the band, that's when we started knowing started Chuck knowing all the time. everybody was. But yeah. I, just remember, I just remember getting off the L at yeah. 38th Street, yeah. and we all rolled up, and we went somewhere to get quarts of beer. <laughs> and they like we're I'm like 15, and they're right. serving me beer. And, you know, <laughs> like, this is beer. awesome. Yeah, I'm like, this is great, you know? Like, and then we all went into 7-Eleven, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we robbed 7-Eleven of, of just cans of soup to get a dollar off, you know, and everyone's stuffing their pockets. Stuffing, you yeah. didn't get caught? No, you caught, no. We just, because oh there was a 7-Eleven that used to be right there. I think you are saving son. Yeah. So it's, we had our can of food, we got in, and I just remember, like I said, I just remember seeing, like, the factions that were at a punk show. There mm-hmm. was skinheads, there was mohawks, there was skate punks, there was, like, artsy kids, mm-hmm. there was us, and the rare thing was there was few of us and what i mean by us was northeast philly kids did you know mike mcmanus and no, I, and those guys at that point they we kind of we kind of i think my my friends might have known him joe gallagher because they they were from up there yeah yeah they were yeah. from like oxford circle yeah, which is a little, a little lower up. a little lower than we okay. really were um we started to get to know those guys mark pingator was uh mark pingator was was a staple and um we started, we, I think Mark was the first one out of those guys that we started, that we met and we were friends with. And um, we knew Mark's girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it just... So eventually you guys did Eventually care. we got to know each other until we were, we actually had a shore house one summer. You know, mm-hmm. and that's where, you know, uh, the general reason that Peggy Baby's kind of like, 
came together. Yeah. So a Shore House, just for our listeners, because not everyone is oh. from this area. It was Wildwood. It was Wildwood, Wildwood New Jersey, New Jersey. December of 1986. Right, where we call the New Jersey beach area yeah. the Shore. The Shore. Down, down the Shore. <laughs> down the Shore. It was, it, and it, when you were down there, it was like you were a thousand miles away from home. On your own. On your own. Kids gone wild. Kids gone wild. And Way before MTV. Yeah. <laughs> So going back to AIDS, Sorry. you said that, that no, that's okay. Um, we can get off topic. Okay. And we'll, we'll, no, no, no. We'll keep coming back. Um, you said there was a small group of you being from the Northeast. Yeah. Now, were were you? You said you know you started to realize Billy Idol in your eyes was kind of fake. Were you starting yeah. to change your look a little? Had you yeah. listened oh, to Black yeah, Flag yeah, at yeah, that yeah. point? Like I mean, what? that that went to like that went from having my spiky hair to a shaved head and a crew cut. You know and. I started dressing a little differently. Sorry, that was more hardcore. It wasn't as it wasn't flamboyant. It was it was more like, you know, I remember having an Abe's. We were in a kitchen area Abe's, and I remember having a bleach fight with a skinhead. Where we were trying to see who could fuck each other's pants up worse. You know, I think his name was Icky. I remember Icky. Yeah, Icky yeah. bad. Icky and I were <laughs> no, and like your blue jeans all of a sudden had white on. Uh-huh. I was like, this is a great look. Like, so, yeah. were you identifying as a skinhead? No, no, no. I, no. I, I kind of liked the look. I kind of just, uh, it kind of, it, it had good cheekbones, so it looked nice on me. <laughs> it did. I remember you from Temple University <laughs> and yeah, I kinda, jeans, combat boots, yeah, it just kind of, it kind of worked well. I mean, shaved or I didn't, I didn't, there was a lot of guys that we didn't, it was weird. It was like we didn't, we didn't identify because we had, uh, we were just getting fights with them all the time. So it wasn't a big deal. In fights with the skinheads? Yeah. There was, uh, there was like a lot of them that just, I don't know, we were we were always anti-racist. So, you know, if you thought ones we were, we were actually looking back on it, it was really trivial bullshit, more or less. Do you, I mean, do you remember some of the incidents with skinheads and, and, and racial episodes? No, I, 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 just to be honest with you, I don't remember them doing anything anyway. Or I just making remarks? My, I mean, yeah, how did you I, know that they well, were racist? You would see, they would, I, I guess it was like the whole, oh, you have white laces on your red docks that meant you were white power or right. whatnot or you know it was, it was like I said retrospectively looking back on it, it was all bullshit probably I think maybe just, they had it coming yeah, I don't know I don't know but we <laughs> I shouldn't say that, that was that, later I mean yeah, yeah. But we, we, because there were incidents I yeah, mean there, yeah, there, there was a lot of stuff and I don't know if it was during the time that you were in the scene yeah. but certainly Swedish Museum I remember seeing it was uh, Damien uh, this black guy mm-hmm. uh, he was famous for doing that when you do a stage dive, you fling the feet, the mm-hmm. boots around. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing Damien get in a fight with some skins out of the uh, Swedish Museum mm-hmm. when Circle of Shit played. Mm-hmm. So I remember that. Yeah, and I know several people yeah, that was, had been assaulted yeah. and and had physical altercations yeah, for. I remember, I remember seeing they were. Sock. Now Sock, remember him? Mm-mm. Sock's a big dude. I mean, he's very. He was a big skin. Um, you know, he has a swastika tattoo. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing Sock beat the hell out of someone in front of Eves. Like, literally just... Did anybody jump in? No. Just, uh-uh. yeah. That poor guy bled bad. Because he, he was a small guy. I don't, I don't know who it was. I'm trying to remember. I, I so the big guy beats up the little yeah, guy. Yeah, and it wasn't... And actually, the funny thing is, is I, run, I ran... And Sock was later on in life, like, a member of the clan. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's very... He was very... I'd have to see a picture of this guy. <laughs> there was know. a... He, I'm, he, I'm he, thinking of someone in particular, but I don't know if it, it, was, it was... on. A, it was an action yeah. news report mm. back in... I want to say like 86 or 87 mm-hmm. and it was about white power skinheads and, and, he, was on and he was on it and he was actually at Valley Forge Park uh-huh. with the Ku Klux Klan and 
Because there seemed to be that time period yeah. where a lot of these skinhead youth were really, really getting yeah. into this white power thing, yeah. and the KKK was was, was you yeah, know, and they were trying to recruit them. Yeah, I mean, it was, and it's not a very, it wasn't a very east northern East Coast thing. It was just kind of. But so, it, we were aware of it. it yeah, was we happening. Were, yeah. Happening, so so you discovered the punk scene. Yeah. You were discovering different kinds of music. What now? What were you really starting to listen to at this point? At that point, it was that, at that point once we once we got once I started getting into talking to different people. Mm -hmm. Like you met all, all diversity of different people. It was like then it was the bad brains, mm -hmm. and then it was like you know uh, from listening to KDU, I used to actually used to stay up at night and tape it. Mm -hmm. And, and then, you know, and if I fell asleep, I'd still have my two hours and I'd listen to right. it on my little, my Walkman. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, RKL. So, yeah. Wow, I like, RKL's yeah. great. Um, There's such a variety. And, yeah, it was RKL, Ill Repute, um, Dr. No, um, SSD, SSD mm -hmm. Control from Boston. Mm -hmm. um, just so many different, that government issue, Minor Threat, Minor Threat was a big one. Yeah. And that, that just came upon, that came along. I did. I did the. I started digging the DC straight edge thing, mm -hmm. and that became, were you straight edge? I, at once, I started listening to Minor Threat, and I started following. I started listening more and more of the straight edge thing that I kind of identify with. Mm -hmm. Then I actually had a friend there at Father Judge that he was he was a guy from Vogue Playground, and he started dating my the neighbor that lived out back from me. Mm -hmm. So Dan Dillon, who's now he was in, he was a bass player for Legitimate Reason and Stepping okay. Razor. And he, he played for the Ruin when they're just recent. Uh, oh. They're on the recent. Uh, he was the, he played bass for them at that uh, at that reunion show. Oh, okay. I didn't realize so, that that was him. Yeah, Danny is very That's terrific. So Danny was dating, and he kind of started liking the same. I don't, you know, he kind of started seeing me and what we mm -hmm. listened to. And I remember, you know, I start. I, I actually think I was. I was about the time I started driving when I was sixteen. I had a license ASAP when I was sixteen, and I would drive Dan to his house, and I'd have music on in my van. Why might get that? Bought me a van. Why well, I had a van to drive around <laughs> so with. So you could put a lot of band equipment of, in it. It was not. It started out with just being like picking everybody in the north and stuff. And in make that out van with and, chicks. And go. Well, he, he put bed in the back too. He Your put, dad? Yeah, he welded a bed frame in the back of the van. Like he brought it to work. He, he wasn't working at the time, but he had seen for friends that, and he welded a bed frame. But we used to use it to take. We had a place in Maryland, like mm -hmm. a trailer. Mm -hmm. We used to go to Maryland, so that was our like, you know. You know, it was good for mm -hmm. that, but it was also good for what I used it for. And uh, we were, it was a green flower truck. You know, that's what it was before. And uh, it still had the flowers on yeah, it. Yeah. And it, had, it was a window van. So we'd all pile on that and go to, we'd go to West Philly and watch our punk shows mm -hmm. or wherever the heck they were. And, uh, and then, uh, let's see, Danny, Danny's just picked right up away. And he, made, he, he met the other four guys that we mm -hmm. were all together with. So now we came... So which came first, legitimate reason or stepping? Oh, legitimate reason. reason definitely came first. So were you already out of high school at Temple? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, legitimate reason was, was still in high school. We were all in high school. Okay. Uh, what happened was um, we bought thrift store guitars. Dan bought a bass. Uh, yeah. How did this come about? Were just, you all guys it, having a conversation no, one no, day I, and said, "Hey, I, let's I start a band"? Our, or? My, our friend Grant was he, he just moved from Minnesota. I think it was Minnesota or Wisconsin, one of the two. He moved and he, he, he brought a lot of like the skateboard influence into mm -hmm. our little group. And say again, who? tell me the guys again who were in Legitimate Reason. Legitimate Reason was, uh, singer was Joe Gallagher. Okay. Drummer was Grant Plunkett. Mm -hmm. Guitar player was Vince Feldman. 
and uh, bass player was Dan Dillon. That was the initial. And you were four. singing? No, I was I was the guitar player. I was you a rhythm were, guitar okay. player. But that was a little bit after they had started. Who was singing? Joe Gallagher. Okay. Joe Gallagher was a little older than we were. Like, okay. He was about three years older. Okay. So, what happened was Grant was a drummer, and Grant said, "Hey," and then let's do something. And then somebody they were dating knew a guy to play guitar, which was weird because we were. Vince Feldman was a mainline guy. Oh, really? Yeah, he wasn't. Opposite he, he, was, he was completely out of our. Yeah. Because we, we started, everyone started dating, you know, and mm -hmm. for through the punk scene. So you'd meet girls from the mainline, and mm -hmm. you'd go to their house. And then Vince had a guitar. Grant played drums. And Danny was learning how to play bass. So they kind of start doing it. And Joe was, he was our, always our outspoken leader. Mm -hmm. Joe was a very, very intelligent guy. And always, like, he was a philosophy major at Temple. Okay. And so Joe became our, he became the singer. And City so had they got together and there was like a little four piece band and they had like a couple little songs. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember like I was trying to learn how to play guitar and I would stay up at night and I would listen and listen to I taught myself. I would listen to music and then I would, you know, locate my little mm -hmm. KDU tape and then I would play through my through my stereo with my headphones <laughs> on at night. And I literally would play until my fingers were wow. bloody. Had you ever had any kind of musical No background no i just made it i just figured oh my god it sounds it like that so i remember that christmas i wanted to i asked my parents for a guitar because i was i was i was had i was the first one they drove out of a crew so this what this what was going to become a legitimate reason i was always in my van and we were going back mm -hmm. and forth and i remember the guy saying wow it'd be really nice to have a guitar player so there was my motivation sure so i learned how to you play wanted to be i learned guitar how to play player. guitar i learned their songs uh -huh. and then that's when legitimate reason i can play one show before I got in them. And so were your parents aware now that you were into yeah. this thing called hardcore yeah. punk and you were... My dad, my dad despised it. My dad was, you know, very, very much against it. Uh, I think the, I think the time he got, you know, I had watched the movie Suburbia uh -huh. and I showed my little brother who's, it was very influenced, he was very influenced by me and I think when my brother put his hair up in a mohawk and my dad saw it, my dad just, my dad, I remember him coming downstairs and he had a white t-shirt. Mm -hmm. Here's my brother with his faux hawk, right? <laughs> Here's me with my shaved head. And my dad went upstairs and he, goes, he got a white t-shirt. He wrote in permanent marker the word fuck across his white t-shirt. He made a bunch of holes and he messed his hair all up. <laughs> and he used to call it punksterism. <laughs> he came down to the dinner table and he slams his hand down on the dinner table. He goes, now we're all fucking punksterism. <laughs> So, I love it. Yeah. So, but he didn't. He didn't keep that look. No, no. my dad rocked out. That was my worst. That was my worst dream I ever had in my life. Was, was that I went to a hardcore. What did you think when he did that? Well, no, it it, it, it was I, it was him showing his disapproval. Yeah. He, he was more embarrassed, you know, because yeah. at that time nobody was punk. Nobody, so he's trying to just no, make a no, point no, at how ridiculous he got. Yeah. Nobody, nobody in that area mm -hmm. was was punk I whatsoever. Know. Every and we were we were we were obviously the square pegs. Yeah. And nobody. Yeah. You know, we were called freak left and right. Yeah. My dad kind of, he's a steam fitter, he's old school. Right, he blue you know, collar. Yeah, blue collar. Neighborhood. He, yeah, in the neighborhood. Right, he like, grew up there. I would go walking out and every, you know, he'd have to explain, you know, every other parent would walk yeah. what the hell is your son and these are And these are the same people that you've known. All my life. All your life, and who suddenly known. are like, who the hell is John? Yeah, what the hell what happened to Johnny? Why does Johnny look like that, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. And Johnny was a nice kid, but he was just like... But different. Different. And that, and, that was upsetting. Yeah, and, and I just... You know, and the thing was, is the damn punk shows were always in West Philly. They were always late at night, mm -hmm. and I always had a curfew at midnight. Mm -hmm. And 
I remember, I remember, do you remember trying to catch that last van? And then, oh my God, I can get on the, I can get on the L and get home in time. And then I was, I would just keep hedging. Uh huh. And I literally remember going back to the thing before, like always worrying about, about your dad and how what yeah. you were trying to do. I remember getting home off the 66 bus and then running five blocks out of my house. <laughs> and then I would start to hear, it was like three in the morning, I heard the birds chirping, like the morning yeah, birds. Yeah. And then out of the 54 houses on my street, every house was dark except, except for one. Oh, and yeah. that one, not only was it not only dark, it was lit up, the front door was wide open. Right, waiting for you. And there he was you. sitting on the chair waiting for me. Oh no, what happened? I got in a lot of trouble. Yeah. yeah. Were you allowed back out again? No, I was. I, I would be. I would be grounded for a little while, and but that that just gave me more time to practice. Did he know where you were at that point? I, I would tell him. Um, I got arrested at Abe's Steakhouse, Abe's, mm -hmm. for uh, underage drinking, and uh, my dad had to pick me up at Fifty Second of Walnut. Oh no! What and, was that like? Oh, that was horrible. I mean, it was horrible in the sense that I was more worried. My father, my mother, actually made my uncle, my godfather, go with him. So that he didn't kill so you? So he didn't kill me, yes. Yeah. And there was another, there was like two other punk guys that were, the, one other punk guy that got arrested with, and a female that got arrested. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically the top cops told my dad, they like, they were like, these kids were in the wrong neighborhood at that time of night. That's the only reason we brought them in. Wow. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was fun. So legitimate reason, how long were you guys together? Uh, I think the legitimate reason was together from mid-85 to... I want to say 88. Wow. Uh, I, or, so, or maybe a little yeah, less. A I mean, years. There was a lot of legitimate. We, we started, they tried not, we tried not to put any, do any shows until we were polished. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of practicing. Mm -hmm. And we practiced at Grant's house, which was on Cottage Street mm -hmm. in Northeast Philly. And his father was one of the few people that would let us practice. And we practiced right. very loud. And um, we were really tight with practicing. What, how would you identify the music? Um, very DC or DC influenced because we all we were all very much, hardcore DC hardcore. Yeah, we like DC hardcore. Everything from Faith, Ignition, mm -hmm. uh, Void, mm -hmm. um, Marginal Man, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. that was like our goal was to be very positive and and have that DC flavor. And not the, the whole band with Generation was in Straight Edge. Dan Dillon was Straight Edge. Mm -hmm. I was Straight Edge, and um, the other guys in the band were just kind of like they weren't and they didn't want to identify with that, but. Mm -hmm. You know, they all everyone had their their idea was everything in moderation. Sure. So, do you remember your first show with legitimate reason? Yes, yes. Where the was first it? show was at the crypt. Okay. Um, do you remember the year? Yeah, I want to say it was. I want to say it was late '86. Okay. And I remember. I remember. Who'd that. you play with? Um, I can't even remember. <laughs> you remember? I playing remember it. playing. I so remember. You, you were an opening band there. Yeah, we were one of the opening bands. I just remember how what stage fright felt like. Oh, felt what did stage. it feel like? Oh, it was like. It was blinding light, like just like you were. You literally like you were felt terrified. Naked. You were. I was. I have a picture of it, and, <laughs> and it's a black and white photo. And it was just. It was really terrifying. Did you guys all look scared? Yeah. yeah. And I remember. I just remember like not, not knowing what it sounded like, and it was just like a blur. It was an adrenaline right. rush, and it was a blur, and it was mm -hmm. just so. How many songs did you guys have? You have a whole I set. Think, at that I think point? we had about eight or nine at the time. Okay. So it was fun. Do you um, do you remember some of your other? Venues or, or bands yeah, we that did, you played I mean, with? Yeah, we played. Um, we played with Corrosion Performity mm -hmm. at the Club Pizzazz. Mm -hmm. um, we played with. Um, who else? We played the Chromags at City Gardens, oh, wow. which that was that was actually my favorite show because we, when the Chromags album came out, Age of Coral, uh -huh. that was that was all of a sudden this new influence from New York that came down, right? Which was just so. 
And talk a little bit about the Chromags, because not everybody who listens to this knows uh, you know, who they are or what they were about. Well, the Chromags were just, it, it just, um, I, I got, I, I had to admit, I like before I get to the Chromags, it was Agnostic Front. That mm-hmm. was the band that, you know, and everyone, was, and you're almost like, people looked at you weird, like, oh, you like Agnostic Front, and they right. always had like this kind of. Nobody knew if they were bad or if they were good, like good guys. And right, because they were that was a skinhead band. It was a skinhead band, band and it was right. kind of like, but um. And there was a lot of violence there was happening. A lot of violence so were, were they Nazis? Yeah. Were they yeah. white power? What was there? I, I, I saw. I went up to like New York and saw Agnostic uh-huh. Front once, and I, I went actually. Mark Pantor was there. Mm-hmm. It was we, like we all went up, and right. I remember I was so not used to seeing that many skinheads. So when I got off there, we got we were like. I remember Mark looking at me like <laughs> first thing I said was Jesus Christ! Look at all the skinheads. Mark said, Shut the fuck up. You're gonna get killed. Yeah, I'm trying to think of. But there's, I mean, tons of band. We play with, that, um, like, Dead Spot. Um, a lot of local things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of different. We play with that Cheetah Chrome motherfuckers. Seventy six percent uncertain. Mm-hmm. Um, Some good bands. We play with Bullet La Volta, which is my one of my favorite bands of all time. Do you remember where that was? Uh, that might even have been to the Kyber Pass. Okay. We played Bacchanal. Yeah, you guys played a lot of shows. I mean, we played Club, the Kennel Club, mm-hmm. a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Revival. Mm-hmm. Revival we played. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of places. Um, Did Legitimate Reason um, ever put out a record? Yes, Legitimate Reason was, was, that was, we put out a record, and uh, it was just a four-song EP. Mm-hmm. But our, that was like our crowning achievement was, if Mark Pantor was the, uh, he had plus records mm-hmm. at the time, and um, our, the biggest thing we did was the fact that we had uh, Vince Feldman, our guitar mm-hmm. player, the lead guitar player for legitimate reason. He started going to college, and he went to college in Georgetown University. Mm-hmm. And while at Georgetown, he met a lot of influ- he met a lot of people from DC. Yeah. So um, he actually had we actually got to record in the same studio that Minor Threat recorded. Oh wow! We went down to Inner Ear. And nice. we stayed in Vince's place, and we recorded. And Don Ziantara, mm-hmm. who was the producer for Minor Threat, was mm-hmm. producing our record. Wow. And then we had Eli Janney from. Um, I think Eli Janney was from Faith. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. I don't know. But the, yeah, the Jannies were there was the two Janney brothers, and Eli Janney produced our record. So it was really cool standing in a booth where Ian McKay sang, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Out of and, step. Out of step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're standing in the same place, yeah. and I'm actually. I, I remember using. Um, Instead of having to bring all of our equipment down, like we mm-hmm. use, I, I like Marshall amplifiers, uh-huh. and I like Gibson guitars. Uh, we used uh, the one, of the rhythm guitar player from Marginal Man. Let us, let me borrow his amplifier, so I didn't have to bring an amplifier down with me. And it was so cool, mm-hmm. you know. Like I love Marginal Man. Here yeah. I'm meeting him. I right? Let me use, use his yeah, get to use his amp. Yeah, yeah. Ziantara. And were you still in high school at this point? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember driving back and. I know it's hard to remember. I know it, my ages are bad. Well, Plays together. I remember the dry. I remember how long it was to produce it, and mm-hmm. how long it took. And do you remember how many records were pressed? Ah, I have no idea. All I know is I have a couple. You know, yeah. the really the worst thing is I have some, and I don't have them on CD, and I don't have a record player anymore. And I, I, I would love to hear them. Just keep them safe. Somebody right just now. somebody just told me they have a video. Mike McManus. They have a me, converter. Mike there's McManus to... told me they have a video of legitimate reason. I and there's no really there's no legitimate reason video. Whatsoever. You have to get them to put it up on YouTube. I asked them. I, I was just talking to them on Facebook about it. Mm-hmm. Mike said he has it, and it was like an interview, and it was early Pagan Babies and late Legitimate wow. Reason. Yeah, he has to put that so, out. So, that was cool. So, so you put out the EP. Um, did they sell? I mean, yeah, they sell yeah, locally? Yeah, Mark sold a bunch locally. Yeah. And uh, I actually remember it was in Maximum Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. You remember they used to have in the back, 
they would have, and oh no, it's in the front. In the front, they would have their, you know, the guys that their, I guess their editors or whoever mm -hmm. wrote for them would have their top, uh, the world like mm -hmm. of EPs that came out that month. Right. And we were on like four of them, and they, you know, and they they would get a record review. It said really, uh, really decent, like hardcore melodic, you know, slash. And they wrote, they wrote pop punk mm -hmm. because it was like upbeat. It was kind of like you know, yeah. and it yeah. wasn't bad, but it was a really nice review. And I was happy with it. Who was writing the music? Okay, um, Vince Feldman wrote. He wrote the, the music ninety five percent of the time. Uh, Joe Gallagher did all the all the lyrics and the vocals. Uh, I, one the one song that legitimate reason ever had that actually made the best of Philly compilation. Remember Dishpan Hands? Yes. Okay, Dishpan Hands came out and. Uh, there's a song in there called "He Steals" by us. Mm -hmm. That was that was the, the I think that was the last song that we recorded. That that was, and I wrote that. So I was really happy because lyrics too. No, no, no. Just, just it was just, "He Steals" was about was about uh, drunk driving, mm -hmm. and it was and it was about he steals. You know, every twenty seven seconds, some fucker is the cause, mm -hmm. and that, and that actually made that. And did did something influence you to? to no, Joe, Joe. I just wrote the, the music. But I mean, for in terms of the drunk driving, like had something happened? No, no, no. I, I, I don't. I, it just was. I don't topic. know if something happened to Joe or not. Okay. He kind of, like I said, he ran with the lyrics, and mm -hmm. like we had an anti hate edge song. Uh, yeah. And because like, of circle of shit. Yeah, because of circle of shit. That was our. What that, was the hate edge? That was our that? enemy. That was circle that legitimately was, was our enemy. Those guys, because they were. They, I mean, it would have the swastika, the swastika arm bands, you know, and the fascist. I'm trying to remember the song. No guns, no knives, no help from outside. Just you and us and both our prides. If this hate edge thing is all it's cracked up to be, just prove to us we're dying to see. Because we were like the Northeast guys, and we were like, yeah. We, were, we, we What it, was hate edge? Hate edge was like the opposite of straight edge. I mean, those guys were just. There was the Mohawk guys. Mm -hmm. Like it was COS crew. Mm -hmm. COS crew and us were just. But were we they were really pulled. haters, or was it? No, a... it just. It just. They were just. We were like positive. We were trying yeah. to be positive. Right. That was like the bad brains of PMA. Sure. That was like. It was it was like a whole new. Mm -hmm. It was like it was like it was almost like our vibe, right? You know, and and, and Peggy babies were kind of with us, mm -hmm. you know, and it was like the, now all of a sudden the Northeast started to gain roots in, in the punk Philly rock, scene. in the Philly scene, and the biggest transition that ever happened was when Club Pizzazz started having shows. That's when the Northeast took over punk rock, and or or the hardcore scene, mm -hmm. and a lot of a lot of people from the old scene stopped. We wouldn't go to shows at, at Club Pizzazz. And where was Club Pizzazz? Club Pizzazz was at the Margaret Orthodox train stop, which would be the second one down. Yeah. And um, right around that time, that's, that's Vince had gotten so heavily involved with Georgetown University mm -hmm. that it would be, became very difficult for him to come up and practice, mm -hmm. let alone play. Mm -hmm. So it was really starting to become tough. And we actually had a, we got the singer left and Vince left. Dan wanted to play, Dan started playing guitar. So we got a new Were you all out of high school at yeah, this point? Yeah, at this time we were at Temple University. Okay. Who and was at Temple with you? It was uh, me. Joe Gallagher was actually there. Mm -hmm. He was kind of getting close to graduating. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was it. Okay. From a legitimate reason. So the, the band eventually just broke up because it, people it, were just in yeah, different places and, 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 and it doing became, different things. It became things. a little, little factionized thing. Like mm -hmm. we had uh, Monique Mann's mm -hmm. clean crew. Uh, Monique, Monique and Rochelle. Um, and clean were like our friends from the main line, and mm -hmm. actually from Darby. Mm -hmm. We became real tight with them, and we were always hanging out. And clean just looked the part of a good singer. You know, he was like an HR kind of guy. Mm -hmm. He looked like you know he had his little dreadlocks. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we tried. We, we did one little sh tiny show 
with doing legitimate reason songs with clean singing and Dan playing bass and me playing guitar mm -hmm. and the drummer was Grant. We, that, that went on once and then that was over. And then, so that ended. That ended. You're I, now at Temple University. Yes. You're a college student. I'm a college what student. were you studying? Time and space. <laughs> I was really wasting. How, does, how, does, I, I didn't how know to give I, your money to a state I, school? Yeah, I, did, I really didn't have any idea what I wanted to do with my life. Did you I have was, a major? Uh, no, that was the problem. After freshman year, going into sophomore year, they wanted me to choose a major. And I was just, I, I didn't want to go into something and waste my, because my parents weren't paying for this. I paid for it. Mm -hmm. I always had a job, by the way. What were you doing? What kind of work were you doing? Uh, I worked for Spikes Gold Medal Trophies on uh, 13th and Race. Mm -hmm. And I built trophies after school, mm -hmm. you know, like for sporting events mm -hmm. and so forth. And Saturdays I worked there. Okay. And uh, I did side construction jobs. And, uh, but the Temple University thing was actually funny because, you know, legitimate reason just broke up. I was really sad. I was upset a little bit. And, uh, That's a big deal. It was. And yeah. I just happened to have a, every Tuesday and Thursday, I had one class. I, I had a class early in the morning, and then my next class wasn't for like two and a half or three hours later. And believe it or not, there was like a p area that punk kids were all hanging at mm -hmm. a temple, right? I don't It was right next to the food trucks. Yep. What did they call that? I don't remember. Picnic tables. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was just Where the food truck. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if there was we'd a specific hang, name. We all hang out there. But for yeah. some reason or another, Matt Harkin, Mm -hmm. Who's a friend who's now probably one of my best friends? I remember Matt. Matt and I both had the same window of time and we were just stuck there. Mm -hmm. Now, Matt Harkin was part of the COS. See, that's where I remember you from the yeah. picnic tables at yeah. Temple. <laughs> Matt, Harkin was, Matt Harkin was part of the uh, COS crew. Mm -hmm. Right. And we would literally sit 15 to 20 feet away from us eating and just reading books, and every once in a while, I'd look up and just shoot daggers at each other. <laughs> like, you know, I. I remember grabbing Matt Harkin at a punk at one of the shows that was at uh, St. Mary's, mm -hmm. and uh, Matt was bullying a younger kid, and I, it was obvious he was bullying him. And I literally, I remember walking up to Matt, just grabbing him by the throat, throwing him up against the wall, you know. And I was like, "Dude, I said, I swear to God, we'll just drop you and your COS friends right here, you know. Like, I have no problem with this. I mean, I'm, I used to like to fight." Okay, I have no problem with that. Well, you're sticking up for the kid getting bullied. Yeah, so, and, 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 and then we were going to take it outside and never made it to that. And then I remember seeing Matt at, at Temple. And it was just like right after that it happened. It was like, and then like it, for some reason or another, I don't know how this happened, but it just, it kind of faded away. Yeah. And I started talking to him. And then it was like, it was like, hey. Know your enemies. Yeah, and it was like, it was like, hey, uh, it's like, dude. Let's do something. You know, get something to eat. Oh, so we went to got something to eat. And then it was like, I mean, it was terrible. It was the morning. It was like, yo, let's go get 40s, right? And the 40s turned into, like, let's just blow off our next class. Right. And Matt, had, Matt was living at 21st in Fitzwater. Uh -huh. And uh, we just happened to go to Matt's house all the time. Did you eventually drop out of Temple? Or yeah, I dropped finish? out of Temple. Yeah. But... Stepping razor was the cause of dropping out of Temple. So tell me about that. How, what happened? How did Stepping Razor? Stepping Razor, I, I kind of dropped out of the 40s things with Matt. Like I said, that kind of pushed the straight edge thing right out. Yeah. The straight edge thing went out the window. Right. And then, then we started smoking. Free time. We started, smoke, we started doing illicit things, which we probably shouldn't have done. And I was introduced to psychedelics at the time. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, 
So how did you, I mean, because you, you know, you talked about legitimate reason being, like, really positive, but, you know, now you're, like, you're getting into fights. Yeah, well, no, 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 legitimate reason, there was always, there was always. There was always fights? There was always fights. And there was, is it a Philly thing, or you no, think it, it's it a personal was, it, thing? No, I think it was a Northeast Philly thing. I mean, just, like, because I know when you grow up in certain kinds of neighborhoods, yeah. it's sort of the nature of survival there was just, there was just to always, fight or flight. No, no, in, in, in my high school, it was always, you know, it, they used to have a, you know somebody would get into a fight in the school and say okay after school underneath the bridge right and it was almost like every day every day rules. you went underneath the bridge of Sally Avenue and you would watch a fist fight there, and, and the whole everyone would gather there and watch a fist fight you might you might be one of the guys in it you might be one of the guys watching it you <laughs> hopefully know? So not <laughs> you always, everybody went and it was just that was that you know there was always a mentality right and there. I do think that that is kind of a a neighborhood yeah and it was North, and then we used to go to the Roosevelt Mall and like for us punk guys it was like it was always like hey Hey, freak. And it was like, all yeah. right, there's three of us and there's four of you. We Let's can take, go. Right, right. So, we can take you. Yeah. And then we just kind of yeah. brought that into the thing. So but, you started straying from straight edge, obviously. You yes. were hanging out with the bad, Matt, the, the other Satan yeah, son. Yeah, the other Satan son from, uh, <laughs> from, what, from like Southwest Now, he was Philly. an in-circle of shit. No, he no. Just he was, was just, hanging out yeah, with Yeah, he was like guys. a GBH, he had the GBH kind yeah. of black hair. Uh-huh. And, you know, I had the shaved head. He had the sure. GBH hair. And, and uh, we started doing stuff and. We would go to Matt's house and ex- like experiment with things, uh-huh. you know, and not 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 sexually, just you know, like drinking, partying, and partying, yeah. and different things. And sure, I mean, there was certainly that yeah. aspect of the punk and hardcore scene where you had people who were, you know, straight edge, yeah. or you had people that were in, into the party, and yeah. and eventually heroin and yeah. speed well, we became that, very popular. God, we, never, we were always marijuana; that was our thing, and you the know, basic stuff. Yeah, basic stuff, and. The entry level, the entry drugs. level stuff. The gate, there are gateways, <laughs> but anyway, somebody had, uh, I think it was one of Matt's roommates actually had a, a drum set in his basement mm-hmm. of Matt's apartment at Twenty First and Fitzwater. Mm-hmm. So I said, I still remember saying, Dan, I don't know what Dan Dillon was doing at the time. I said, Dan, come on down, bring your bass. And Matt tried to play drums; he was horrible at it. And uh, we tried to, we actually started recruiting a drummer. We started thinking to myself, Hey, let's put something together. Mm-hmm. Because we were we'd experiment, we'd, we'd have little jam sessions down the basement, shut the lights off with mm-hmm. candles, make experimental kind of music, and then we were very much stepping razor kind of came together, and it was like well, we didn't have a singer, so it was like, hey Matt, this is your place, you're the singer. When he got slapped with a, his microphone in his hand. And so we, who became stepping razor? Stepping razor was, was was me uh, on guitar, and I I was the I was the main writer okay. for stepping razor music. Dan Dillon was the bass player. Uh, we recruited, um, well, we had Jim Smith. I remember Jim. Jim Smith was our drummer. Yeah. We had gotten Jim Smith from Stalin's Daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim actually was great. He was, he was perfect with what we needed. Uh, and it was a four-piece at the time. And uh, we would have lots of parties at our house, at this house, 21st mm-hmm. in Fitzwater. And at that time, I was still living in Northeast Philly, and I'd go to that house all the time. I had a job at a record store up in Northeast Philly, Sound Odyssey. Uh-huh. And I had a long hair friend that worked there that was in metal. His name was John Hebert. He played for Anvil Bitch. Oh, wow. Which was that. I remember like, that band. Yeah. yeah. Well, John Hebert, we invited him to, I think it was my 21st birthday party. We invited John Hebert to come down to our our house party at 21st mm-hmm. in Fitzwater. And it was all punk kids and mm-hmm. all hardcore guys and the whole, and some local neighborhood guys, you know. Well, John Hebert rolls in at his party with all his metal friends, and like they all have like the Eddie Van Halen hairstyle. Mm-hmm. John had like a hippie long hair, 
and I knew John was a great guitar player. Well, somebody, one of the one of those guys said the wrong thing, and we literally just fought them all, and they drove them. We drove them out of the house. We're chasing them up and down the streets. The the, the metal dudes. Yeah. We, Including your friend from Sound Odyssey. We didn't let him leave. We kind of kidnapped them. Like we kind of. We were like, we chased all his friends away. Trouble. I know, we chased all his friends away, and we kept him. And, like, we made sure nobody would, hurt, nobody would touch him. I was like, that's my friend. You know, we put him in a room. Well, like, what did these him. guys say? I mean, I, I, like, I think they were, I think, they, I, no, 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 I think, I think, <laughs> I think Clayne was there with his sisters, and somebody dropped the N-word. Uh, and that was just, enough okay. to, you know, no, we're not okay. having this, and you're going to. And they were yes. very rednecky looking. Yeah. Red, some, some of them were metalheads, and some were just, like, redneck white trash guys. Gotcha. And they got, they, that's why so I said. they were. They were All bad. Right. We chased them around. And, All right. Like I said, John, we kept. We okay. locked them in a room and protected them. <laughs> oh, no. And then so held them John, John actually didn't mind it. He like, kind of liked our crew. And he became he became our lead guitar player. Wow. And he was way too good for us. Hmm. But, I mean, he brought thunder. So something that was already powerful, yeah. John brought this thunder. What kind of what kind of music? I mean, was it similar to Legitimate it, it, Reason? It, it, was, it, we, it was kind of similar to Legitimate Reason, but... After that time, like I mentioned, the Chromex before, I brought in a heavy new word influence. Like, the word mosh wasn't around, and the word mosh came in. So, like, one of the songs we learned how to play as Step Razor, we would do a cover of uh, the Bad Brains band in DC. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, chug, 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 yeah. that sound. Yeah. We love that sound, the chugga chugga sound. Yeah, yeah. And that was just our, that was, and then Danny was such a good bass player. He brought a jazz influence that nothing. You couldn't label what we were. It was Danny brought a jazz influence, and it was so. Who who was your audience? Um, the audience was pretty much a lot of Northeast Philly people, because. But punks that, or yeah, just, punks. No, it was yeah. punks. It was all punk yeah. and hardcore kids. Yeah. It was more or less. I would say more or less it was hardcore kids. Yeah. Like we weren't we weren't too busy. We weren't too big with the Mohawks. Right. Were more, you drawing the skinhead crowd? Uh, a little bit. We were drawing a little bit of them. Mm -hmm. um, I remember. That's kind of when everything shifted to Northeast. Uh, I mean, we played we played revival a lot of times. Yeah, I remember breaking a stage of revival with Seven Razor. We, really? Yeah, we. Uh, what happened? We opened. I think FOD was playing. We we played before FOD, and we were above somebody else, and uh, they had a they had a late show, and like fog. Mm -hmm. So we would start Seven Razor set off with bang, and we would go in, and the house lights would come on, and we would just go out. Well, everyone, Dan, myself, and. Mike Gra or Eric Squadroni from the Pagan Babies mm -hmm. was in Stepping Razor as well. Mm -hmm. We all jumped up, you know, with the guitars in the air and came crashing down. Well, the stage was made of particle board. Yeah. And we all fell through the stage. <laughs> there was three monster holes in the stage. And I just remember the we lights. just disappeared. Yeah, we just disappeared up to our waist <laughs> in the stage. And I remember we got, after the set, we, we went up playing funny. around it. And, we, and I don't think FOD saw us. I remember FOD came on and, like, they fell in the same holes. Like, they didn't see it. It was like, well, there goes Dave. I don't remember that. I mean, I remember seeing a lot of shows at Revival, yeah. but I don't remember we, that we one particular show. There. Oh, that was good. That was fun. That is very funny. But, uh, <laughs> Luckily, yeah. no one got hurt, I take it? No. Um, Seth and Razor played a show in, uh, actually, I think it was the first show we played with Seth and Razor. We played in West Philly. Uh -huh. And I, I don't know if it was, it wasn't, not West Philly, like around Drexel. I think Scream played there once. At, at a frat or? Yeah, I think it was a frat house. It might have been Chris Mack Mac from KDU's mm -hmm. house. Okay. And we played in their basement. And uh, we, we were just, I think we had like three songs at the time. And we really wanted to let, we wanted, we wanted the people to hear it. Mm -hmm. And we were all, the whole band was there. 
and Electric Love Muffin was ready, was going to play that night. And I was friends with the bass player from Electric Love Muffin, Brian Campbell. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking, and Butch, the, you know, yeah. and I remember asking, who borrow your equipment, uh-huh. you know, to play? Yeah. And, uh, like, the first song of Seven Razor, like I said, bang, I jumped up, and my head literally went through the ceiling. And it was like an old thing. You were having a lot of luck with It was the old plaster lab ceiling. And I, I literally required like 10, 15 stitches to close oh it up. Oh, my God. And it was like the second I hit the ground, yeah. I didn't have a shirt on. And I was playing. Some, one of the guys had a hollow body guitar. Mm-hmm. The blood was just covering my chest. And I thought I was sweating at the time. And it wasn't sweat. It was a lot of blood. It was actually going into the guys and the, oh, the no. poor guy's hollow body guitar. Oh. I felt bad. Yeah. So we did two songs and yeah. we stopped. And yeah. I handed the guy back his guitar. Oh, I don't no. think they liked me too much after that. No, I don't think bad. so. Yeah, but that's a good show right there. Oh, when there's blood. Show. Oh, there was a lot of blood. <laughs> Step Razor and then Step Razor started. We started traveling. What Step- is stepping? Like, where where did the name come from? Okay. Um, that was fun. Step Razor came from. Uh, Matt and I started like, like I said, we experimented with, uh, we smoked a lot of pot. We uh, we started getting into reggae. Mm-hmm. Bad Brands brought it, you know, Bad Brands opened us up to reggae. They were quite the mix so, of parts yeah, so, for reggae. So that, that that showed us reggae. We got into ska. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked Bob Marley, but I was more of a Peter Tosh fan. Okay. And Peter Tosh had a song called Step and Razor. Uh-huh. And this song by Peter Tosh is like, I'm a Step and Razor, you better watch my sides, I'm dangerous. So we took that on as our mantra. So that was like, oh wow, we like yeah, that. Yeah, I was it, wondering where that came from. It was from. cool. It was from a Peter Tosh song. Oh, I'm glad so, to know now. And then the graffiti. Now I have stuff. to listen to that song. I'm gonna. Oh, it's I'm a great YouTube song. it later the, today. It, it, we also got into, um, and also at that time, besides the reggae, rap, mm-hmm. Public Enemy, yeah, was big. Yeah, one of and, my favorites. And we, we, we started liking Public Enemy so much that. Uh, a lot of the black community that was around 21st and Fitzwater, uh-huh. we kind of like started, they kind of took us in mm-hmm. because we were like these badass white guys, you know, and I guess they heard about some of the stuff we had done. Uh-huh. Like, and then, uh, then we were fighting a lot of skinheads. Then we were fighting skinheads. We were fighting people that were racist. And we kind of like got, went to, got invited to a lot of parties where Public Enemy was being played at. Like, and we were like the only white guys there. Mm-hmm. And they kind of really liked us. And mm-hmm. it was like, because we were alternative. Yeah, that and, mix. and they, at that time when Public Enemy was out, they were alternative too. Oh, they were definitely. speaking about the, you know, the man. And, definitely. And it was kind of like, it was yeah. the two cultures just kind of went mm-hmm. together. And I think Anthrax was doing a song mm-hmm. with, you know, and it was just, yeah. it was kind of like a melding, yeah. melding pot. Bring and it was kind of, yeah, it was really, it was yeah. really cool. In fact, I was listening to that on my way here today. It was Public Enemy and Anthrax. Anthrax yeah. <laughs> well, well, then came in with the graffiti influence. Now, the graffiti influence was a step and razor thing. Matt, I don't know if I can probably get Matt in trouble for this, but Matt picked up, started deciding, hey, step and razor needs to publicize. So Matt started. <laughs> That's me, we didn't we have sp- Facebook. We spray painted everything step, step and razor, murals. I mean, we did the biggest one was over top of the. Uh, they did the billboard at twenty first and or twenty like twenty fifth and South mm-hmm. as you come across the South Street mm-hmm. Bridge. They whitewashed. It was a Newport cigarette ad. Mm-hmm. And had a woman smoking a cigarette, and they put a hockey mask on her, and they covered it with the words were, and they wrote "Welcome to Philadelphia." Welcome to Philadelphia. Like it was like home of fucking step and racer. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys ever get caught? Uh, Matt did eventually get caught. And he had a switch right in Step and Razor, and he got, he did have to pay some fines for it. Mm-hmm. But it, it just became to the point where everywhere you went, there was a Step and Razor tag. Like that was your mass media. Yeah, and it was actually it actually worked really well. And uh, yeah. 
a bit with the rap, with, that kind of went with the rap thing. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like then. So you guys went through a lot of transformations yeah. from legitimate reason up yeah. to Stepping Razor. I mean, mm-hmm. really. And, and you're also growing up at that mm-hmm. point because you're in high school. Yeah, now we're in college. Now you're kind of like. And a, I actually, at, at one, at, in the beginning phases of uh, Stepping Razor, I got, once I, I got out of college, or I dropped out of college, my father, I, taking a year off, quote unquote. <laughs> Is that what you told your yeah, parents? Yeah, I told, yeah, I'm taking, taking a year, a year off. off. My father suggested in 1988 that, you know what, while you're taking a year off, why don't you um, see if you can get the apprenticeship for Steam Fears Local 420, is what I'm part of now. And he goes, worst comes to worst, you're going to make a good make a good living. Right. You have benefits. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Something to fall back on. Uh, something to fall back on, God forbid it, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. So I actually loved it. It's just it was working with real men doing really really <laughs> real man, man. <laughs> real really manly man stuff yeah you know and were they fighting after work and like meeting under the bridge no 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 <laughs> I, that, kind of, that kind of manly man stuff was all kind of different those fight uh, a steam fitter fight is like a different fight than a punk fight it's like real men fighting with real men not you're not chasing somebody who might not want to punch you back two guys. <laughs> oh god <laughs> this really really didn't happen much yeah no, so, I know. but it was very uh, it was, it was men it was neat. It was like well, it's very yeah. blue collar. It got very whole, gritty. And it was yeah, welded, tough guys. steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And going out to the bar and drink. You know, going out right. to the bar at lunchtime every once in a while. Right. And, you know, working with cranes. And, but you were still in Stepping Razor yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah, so what yeah. was that like for you? You know, sort of living this because I mean, and I guess I'm I'm making a stereotype too. But you know, the, the whole blue collar, you know, steam fitters. You know, how do they take to I would imagine them looking at someone who's into this whole punk thing as well, like a being a freak. Yeah, I remember going in for my apprenticeship interview to get accepted, mm-hmm. and it was like a week after jumping through the ceiling at that West Philly place. <laughs> so here I have bald head. Here I have a bald head. I have stitches, stitches over the eyes. The eyes all black. Look like I. And I remember like because one thing with the uh, union is everything has to be American made. Mm-hmm. Everything has to be you know, by USA. Mm-hmm. Do this. Um, by union, everything. Right. So I remember sitting in my interview, and a guy, Harry Plummer, was the. Uh, that's odd. Yeah, Harry Plummer was a, the guy in charge of the Steam Fitters apprenticeship, yeah. and he's actually looking. And he's like, "Well, your test scores are all right. You went to Temple University for two years. Your grades were good." <laughs> and he looks down from the paper and he goes, "Jesus Christ, what the hell happened to you?" I said, "I fell off my Harley." And he was like, "Oh, you have a you have an American-made motorcycle?" And I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Good." I lied. Right, obviously. <laughs> Help me get in. There you go. And you're still there today. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a great way. It's a good look. You do a pretty dangerous job. I mean, I, I think, you know, and, and I don't want to say that everyone with ADHD is impulsive and lives on the edge, yeah. but there's se- definitely characteristics with people with ADHD of being, you know, um, taking risks. Yeah. And your job is very risky. Yeah. I mean, you go down into some very scary... Yeah. Places and and work on things that could blow you to little bits. Yes, and go so. into places that they can't retrieve your. Sometimes we go into places where you have to wear a body retrieval harness, which yeah. is confined spaces. And so this retrieval harness, if you should die, if they you have can a pull or you heart out. Attack, they try to get your body out. Wow, because you they're not. It's pretty dangerous. Yeah, stuff. so you're can't. you're still living on the edge. Yeah. Yeah. So stepping razor. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. No, it's interesting. I mean, I definitely think that there are some connections in in you know interests in the work that that people wind up doing. You know, that are based on their personality, mm-hmm. and you've certainly got this adventurous, risk taking. Yeah. 
personality. Clearly, love you know? this. I, now that was another thing, which, which is something that a lot of people didn't do. And this is, and no offense to anybody that's done these interviews or mm -hmm. has done any of this mm -hmm. or other bands, mm -hmm. but one thing that we did, and I can honestly say, stepping razor, stepping razor, and legitimate, and legitimate reason. Mm -hmm. One thing that we always did, no matter if, no matter what, we we if we weren't even if we weren't playing or we didn't know the bands that were mm -hmm. playing, we were at every punk rock show and or hardcore show in Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah. And I can't say that for a lot of the people. Yeah, and, and I think... And a lot of the older bands, I never saw them at the shows. Yeah. And I kind of... Was, I wasn't resentful towards it, but it was just kind of like you were just using us as your... You know, like you're playing music that, you know, you know we're going to like. We'll have a great time at your show, but... I never see you at our shows. You're not shows. a part of it. I never see you at our shows, and I and we, we were big on supporting each other, mm -hmm. like trilogy of terror mm -hmm. when those girls when those, yeah. you know, we would support them, the pagan babies. When sure. They, you know, so it was. Well, I think that that made for a more close. Yeah, it kept it kept us tight. Like yeah. you know, I just saw something on um, City Gardens, like they had a, just yeah. a book was put out. Yeah. Uh, I, I know the author of the book, uh -huh. but City Gardens had absolutely no scene whatsoever. No. So you to right, us. you showed up. You showed up, and there it was were a bunch fights. Of people. It was dangerous. Yeah, it was and dangerous, and we were from right. Philly. You hoped to live to tell the tale, yeah. and then you left. City Gardens was different. Philadelphia's yeah. punk scene was very tight. Yeah. You knew everybody, and you always and and there was people you hung out with, and there were people you didn't. Yeah. But so, so did step? How uh, how long was Stepping Razor together? I want to say Stepping Razor was probably for two years as well. And and who, who were some of the bands that you? Oh, Stepping Razor. Stepping Razor played with Corrosion of Conformity, SNFU. Okay. Uh, oh, the reason was SNFU, Corrosion of Conformity, The Stupids mm -hmm. from England. Mm -hmm. um, Do you remember? It, it sounds like mostly Pizzazz. Were you yeah, playing? it was it was Pizzazz and Revival. Um, Which, now you told me earlier before we started the interview that your parents came to one show. Yes. What show was that? That was the that was the legitimate reason, January 2nd, 1987, SNFU show at, at Revival, or at Club Pizzazz. Okay. Yes. And, and uh, how did that go over with mom and dad? Okay. Um, well, mom did, my dad would never go. Dad. He didn't the, go? No, he didn't go. Okay. Just my mom went, and she brought my aunt. Okay. So your dad never fully accepted uh, that you were nope, into this nope, nope, thing? No, 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 no. Does like he now? It. What? Does he know? I, actually, I saw him today, and I told him I was coming here today, and he's actually, he's, he's actually loose enough. It's he, not a phase? No, it's not a phase. <laughs> he's actually, I mean, he's proud of me that I actually yeah. did something on my yeah. own. I didn't ever ask them for money. Yeah. I, I bought my own guitars. Mm -hmm. I bought my own amplifiers. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I bought my own car insurance. Mm -hmm. But then again, that goes back to that thing of respect and, you know what I mean? Self-discipline and, and, and responsibility. Sure. And, I always had a job, sure. whether it was delivering newspapers. Because they were certainly the punks who were squatting in yeah. houses, begging yeah. for money and food, yeah. living off of whoever they could, yeah. um, and taking whatever they could and never giving anything and in return. Was, and there was the kids that were getting money from their parents. Right, right. So the kids, kids, but you know what I'm talking but about. But there were kids, right, yeah. who had that, everything paid for yeah. and had that punk look. Yeah. And then there were kids that were actually working. And, yeah. and, and that's, I mean, we took that, yeah. and that was all of us. Uh, yeah. A lot of them, that was, most of the kids from yeah. the East had that. Yeah. And I think over time, you know, I think, because, and I, myself, and I, I know a lot of people who, when they first got into punk and the parents were like, oh my God, what has happened to my child? And look at you, and I don't recognize you, and, you know, it, they just don't get it. But I think over time, they start to realize that, you know, maybe it's not such a bad thing. No, that, and it, I, I think it took years for them to realize. I think actually, I think when my mom went to the SNFU show, she mm -hmm. kind of might have ease my dad into the, this isn't that bad. Yeah, what but, was like, her, he what was her perception of the show? Well, she, she she brought a lot of her, she was in James Martin School for Respiratory Therapy at the yeah. time. 
So a lot of the people she went to school with, she's like, oh, my son's playing. <laughs> and there's a band from Canada. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. So she, they showed up, and a lot of the people were there. And it was January 2nd, so it was right after New Year's. Yeah. And uh, one of the songs we would end with, we, 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 did a, we used to do a cover of the Beatles, Let It Be. But we would do a hardcore version of right. Let It Be. Right, of course. And uh, I remember inviting everybody up on stage. Was it fast? What? Was it yeah, fast? Yeah, it was version? like. And the singer actually had to sing it. But, like, kind of hardcore, but it was more like a song. Yeah, yeah. And it was a good way to end the set. It was like a, you know, because people would sing along with it. We invited people up on stage to sing along with it. And I don't remember if we were just collapsed that stage. But I remember by the time that song was over, the entire stage was just full of people. And my mom was there, and then I was like, I, I remember I, I was still straight edge and I was so nervous before we played that. I was like, Mom, can I have a cigarette? And Mom, can I have a cigarette? I was like, smoking. And um, the thing I remember the best is my mom was hanging out with Chai Pig, the singer from mm -hmm. SNFU. And I don't know how they got in the ladies' room with Chai Pig, my mom and my aunt. They came up very red eyed. Oh, I had really? never I had never known that or seen that. Really? Yeah, I think they got woke up baked. <laughs> with wow. Chai Pig from SNFU. Would she have admitted that? No, or? she never would admit yeah. it. I think she said she was in there and she could contact Con right she didn't yeah. inhale uh -uh. Yeah. <laughs> so so that what was, was her fun. I mean did she have positive feedback yeah, would, after the she, show she never seen anything like that yeah. and she was like and everyone had fun and people yeah. were doing they were slam dancing yeah. and the thrashing and the moshing mm -hmm. and nobody was getting hurt and she right. was noticing everyone was picking each other up right and the stage dives were good and she kind of sat in the back to she I think she told my dad this isn't that bad of a there thing could be worse there things. could be worse things there could definitely no, be worse they, things that your kids it's are doing. rough but they're yeah so, so what was the breakdown of Stepping Razor? I mean, what, uh, what, what was the breakup of the band? Did you guys put, first of all, did you put out any no, music? No, we, we, we put out, we, we recorded a, a demo. Okay. And um, it, Stepping Razor was very dysfunctional in the fact that um, we, Jim Smith never knew that we all smoked pot. And we were ritualistically smoked before we played. Uh-huh. And... Uh, was Jim straight edge? Jim wasn't straight edge. He just didn't. He just he didn't, didn't smoke. He didn't, he didn't do any drugs. He yeah, just, that's he, what I He thought. would drink every once in a while. Right, but was he it. wasn't a partier. And yeah. he never. But he never knew we were. We were all high. Okay. And then I think one time we we got really high. He was like, "You sons of bitches are high." And, he, and oh, that was the fall. We, the, the, the falling apart of Stepping Razor was. Uh, we wanted. To, we actually wanted to do more jazz. With the jazz influence was coming in with Dan, mm -hmm. and Jim was a very good drummer, but he was stiff. Like Jim, had, we didn't think Jim was very. We were we, we, we overanalyzed things. I'm so stupid. You said marijuana. It was so stupid <laughs> that we actually tried to like think we would be better with a different drummer. Mm -hmm. that maybe somebody with a double bass. Well, drum that, maybe that's not metal. his genre of music. Yeah, and, 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 and we were, like we were still doing. I mean, we we're doing a lot of our songs were like like eight minute songs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was just so yeah, weird for yeah, hardcore. Yeah, yeah. And it was hard to. And I, I mean. If I did a reunion with Stephen Razor, I think we would chop. I would chop some of the songs down so it would be shorter. Would you do a re reunion? Do you guys uh, ever talk about we, it? We've talked about for it for legitimate reasons. Legit I think what it would probably be is uh, we don't. I haven't seen Joe Gallagher, the singer from Legitimate Reason, or Grant Plunkett in 25 years. I, I don't even know where they're at. Okay. And uh, not even through Facebook. Not even through Facebook. They're just missing. Okay. Uh, Dan Dillon and myself would probably we we talked about doing it. And Jim's around. Jim's around. Jim would yeah. like to do it. Jim says he hasn't played drums in a while, so it would yeah. be a little difficult for him. Yeah. Um, but he was willing to try. Mm -hmm. And what we would basically do is we would meld the two together, and it would be step and raise slash legitimate reason because they, you know, yeah, just pick like fun. fifteen songs that were yeah. you know, for both of them. Yeah. Um, so once stepping razor broke up, did you go on? 
playing so any one, other no, bands? No, one, one step and razor broke. Actually, believe it or not, I, I tried to start. I started up a band briefly with uh, John Brubaker. <laughs> your arch enemy. What I know. Is this? You're I like know. making friends with all your enemies, John Finn. Come yeah, on, me, you're not that tough. It was, it was me. <laughs> I started talking to John Brubaker from his record store. He's a good guy. He is a good guy. He wound up to being a great guy. He's a great, he is. I mean, literally. It, and the only thing with, like, I don't know. I think a lot of the circle of shit stuff was more tongue-in-cheek, kind of in your face. But, but if you didn't know that, we didn't know that. you took yeah. them seriously, yeah, and that was the big mistake, to take we them so, serious. There's so many people from the, that, those days that I didn't talk to. They were like, they, why did I they hate were you? Exactly. They were mm -hmm. affiliated with that. Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah. like here's, some, here's someone, for example. I've seen him at every show forever. I never said a word to him. Who's that? Um, Dennis uh, McHugh. Oh, Dennis is a great I guy. Know. He's a sweetheart. But I never said a Give word. him a big hug the next time I, you see him. I, 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 every time I see him now, I'm like, I'm like, listen, man. He's you know a what? Sweetheart. I've, never, I've, I've never, known him since. Yeah, and I've never, never said a yeah. two words to him back then. Well, now, I think people have. Yeah. I mean, would you agree? And maybe I'm wrong, but I, I kind of feel like, and especially when you're younger, you have this perception yeah. of other people, yes. of who they are, of how they think, and. You know, it can be either, you know, off-putting or mm -hmm. it can be intimidating yeah. or, you know, and and just based on that assumption about that person, yeah. and I think all humans do that. I think it's part of our nature. Like I said, John's um, one, John Brew, like, John was a wonderful guy. I liked him a lot. Yeah. And um, like I said, yeah. I started recently talking to Dennis. Like, I, uh -huh. I, I, a couple of shows I, that I saw you put on, I said, man, you're doing a really great job yeah. with this. I'm, yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. And then now every time I see him, it's like, mm -hmm. hey, Dennis, how you doing? Shake yeah. his hand. And, and that, and that, I think is is sort of the it's the contradiction, and at the same time, kind of the beauty of the whole punk hardcore thing. And the contradiction is that you know, punk is supposed to be this open, you know, it's like it's it's all the misfits who who can't find, who don't have their place in society, and who need to forget it. Can you call it back? Yeah. We can't stop it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just. Chip, let me call you back in five minutes. All right. See. Ya. Sorry. sorry. So yeah, we don't like to we don't like to stop I'm the sorry, tape. Um, but but there you know so on the one hand it's supposed to be this place where the people who don't fit in can go to fit in, but then you get there and just like any any group dynamic you get there and then the contradiction comes where I don't like you and I don't like you and I I don't understand you and you know. But then on the other side, it comes. It, I think it kind of comes full circle where over time, that open-mindedness that brought you to yes. this place in the first place allows yeah. you to get to know Matt, yeah, to get almost, to know Brubaker. Yeah, it was. It was almost like, like you said, it was contradictory that we were involved with something that we wanted to be open-mindedness and. Yeah, we were close-minded to a lot of the others just because we were a little different. And that's group other. psychology. I yeah. mean, anytime you study group dynamics and any culture within a culture or a subculture, you you find that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that some of that beauty of it is that I think many of us figured out a way to work that out mm -hmm. um, and and to to make that um, to make it to make it work. You know, to be able to function within this small group and be who you are and be who, and I don't have to like you and I don't have to understand your, you know, and maybe at some point I will, which you had that opportunity to do, um, but yeah, I mean, in, in, to find a way to coexist, um, which, you know, um, kind of brings me to fast forward, you know, it's like, this is almost 40 years of punk, 
um, it's lasted a long time, and, and people have learned to coexist. I mean, what are your thoughts about why it's lasted as long as it has and, and why it's been able to function kind of as this subculture that continues today? Because I think there's always going to be an element of people feeling a little disconnected with everything that the norm is, and it's always going to be a home for us rejects, us people that have different opinions and that want to be a little different, that want to be that, you know, the one shirt nobody else likes in the closet, <laughs> that's what we all, you know, and there's, out of a hundred, out of a hundred people, there might be one of us, you know, out of a city that's the largest Philadelphia is, yeah. that kind of makes a scene, you have to lose people that fit in. Do you think punk is dead? Some people have um, said punk is dead, musically. No, I don't think it'll ever be dead. And, and you know what, people can say that, that they, they think that, and that's fine. Uh, it's just maybe a different, slightly different genre than it used to be. Yeah. The spirit's still there. Um, matter of fact, a uh, funny thing is, is there's a, um, I never did the Facebook thing. It just started within the last couple of years, mm -hmm. and uh, after my after my divorce, mm -hmm. and my daughters put me on it. And the only reason my daughters put me on it was so I could reconnect with people that I used to know. Mm -hmm. And it's great for that. And it was great for that. And I didn't know the scene was still around. Like after after I got married in 1997, I kind of. You're having kids, you're raising kids, children, right? You can't go out yet. I, I didn't. Yeah. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And it wasn't until the Facebook thing where I just started seeing, oh, wow, this is still going on, mm -hmm. you know. And I started going to shows, and oh my God, FOD still play. FOD has a, re a reunion <laughs> show. Right. Ruins play. Ruins play. And where are you going tonight? I'm going to see the Chromags. The Chromags. And, and, and who's playing so, with the Chromags tonight? Uh, anti nowhere League. Yeah. So it's really cool. It's just. Yeah. And it's it's nice to see everybody. Do you feel when you go and you see the different ages, like, do you, do you feel out of place because you're so much no, older? No, 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 I don't because it's, I, 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 you know what, I might if it wasn't for the fact that there's so many other people that are my age that still yeah, go. Yeah, You know, I see my, I see Chuck Me in there. Mm -hmm. I see, I love to see the fact that FOD, if they're not playing, they're still going. Mm -hmm. That is great. You yeah. Know, that's, that's why. Yeah. It, and, um, you know, I see that. It's, Dan Dillon goes, like Matt Harkin's going to come down, Dan's coming down, my buddy Chip who called to mm -hmm. the interview, he's mm -hmm. going. So uh, it's it is great because it's Tony Palco, it's all over like a reunion. And, and the best part is, is I know I can go to the show tonight, and even if I didn't know anybody mm -hmm. of my friends that I literally talked to on the phone, who's going to go, yeah. I know there's going to be people there I know. You're not going to get into a fight tonight. No, right? no, no. I, 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 <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I've really tried to, I'm, I've been a good boy, I have to be a good boy. Uh, but no, I, I've uh, those days are over. Yeah. I'm not a I'm a dad now. Yeah. I can't risk yeah. something bad happening. Yeah. I can't get hurt doing something stupid. Sure. You gotta I did, get up and go to I work. did a massive stage dive at the Re at the Ruin show. Where you kicked me in the shin. Yeah. And, and I got the and, and the photographer, I know it was the you. photographer Dan Long caught it on, yeah. on camera. Yeah. And I think that's my crowning achievement. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah. that's I know good. it was you that kicked me in the shin. I was lumped I, up for weeks. I was wearing these kind of sneakers, so I'm sorry. <laughs> it was so much fun though. That was a great they show. They dared me to do it. That was like, a great show. And, there was, was and, great show. And, and at Ruin, I mean, one of the things that I distinctively really remember and, and enjoyed about it was that there were a lot of young punks there with their kids. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of what we would have called the old heads when yeah. we were that age. And sitting and talking to a lot of those young people and their children yeah. that were at the show. And I, I just took great pleasure um, in, in that experience with them and seeing everyone there together. I so. do hope one of these days next, I 
it, if Stephen Marie's a legitimate reason ever does a little reunion, I want my daughter to go. I want her Absolutely. to see it. My daughter. Absolutely. And I do want to take her to see. Um, I will take her to see a band every once in a while. I, yeah. I do want to take her. My son will have no parts of it. No. I will bring him to the dark side one day. Yeah. I absolutely. slowly work on him. Do you? We're going to wrap up because we've been talking for a while. No, we have to go get our pictures yes, taken yes. with Karen. Um, any any parting words or anything that we didn't cover I, that you wanted to say or? There's so much to say, and I know there's yeah. so much I missed out on, and um, uh, people that I would ever, I mean, the people I'd like to thank for everything that, we, you know, there was the behind the scene people like your Carol Schutzbank, mm -hmm. your Chuck Me, and mm -hmm. the people that put shows on. There are other people that really, you know, and they didn't make a cent doing it. They made it happen. They made it happen. They they and, you know, all we knew is like. You know, oh, we should try to sneak in when we were younger. Yeah. And then you start realizing what this guy's actually doing, or the legwork, mm -hmm. and that's what's important. Yeah. And the, the people like Mark Pangator that actually did a record company. Absolutely. Dave Rave. That, you Absolutely. Know, these are people that just behind the scenes were, mm -hmm. you know, and they, I don't necessarily, they didn't do it to make money. They did it right. because they loved what they were doing and they wanted to put this out for other people to hear. Right. And those people I give a lot of credit to. Right. You Me know, too. I and, agree. And it was a very, mm -hmm. it's a noble thing that they did. And, like I said, there's a million other things I could talk about. Right. No, I think that that's a wonderful way to end um, yeah. and, and recognizing, you know, the other folks that made this scene happen. I want to thank you for okay. sitting down and talking with I'm me so today. I'm so glad you guys had me here. I'm I very, know. I'm, very I'm appreciative. Absolutely. I'm excited. I think that your um, history and, and involvement in the scene is a really important one. Um, and I was really excited to, I was, to meet I was with you excited, today. I was excited to come down and see you today and do this. Aw, so we will say our goodbyes. This is Loud Fast Philly. Bye, Philly.